0: Moncrief on News Talk. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Uh, time to uh, look abroad uh, and talk about some stories from other parts of the planet. Jonathan DeBurka Butler, as ever, is our guide. Jonathan, good afternoon.
1: Sean, how are you keeping?
0: Uh, right, we're going to start in Japan, where apparently the Minister for Women's Empowerment isn't in favour of women's empowerment.
1: <laughs> It looks that way. All right. Uh, This is, as you said, the Japan's Minister for Women's Empowerment and Gender Equality, Tamayo Murakawa. Um, She's among a group of Conservative MPs who appear to be opposed to um, a legal change that would effectively allow women to keep their maiden name after marriage. Now, this will be hard for some people to believe, but in Japan, it is uh, illegal to have a different surname once you get married, right? So that's been enshrined in law ever since 1897, part of the civil code, and it hasn't been changed, right? Now, a lot of people in practice keep their maiden name. For example, the minister herself keeps her maiden name for her work and TV appearances and that kind of thing. But on legal documents, whatever else, mortgage, whatever else you're having yourself, she has to have the name of her husband, or at least they have to have a shared Name Right. It doesn't Mm. the law doesn't actually stipulate that it has to be the man's or the woman's. But in 96 percent of the cases, it is the man's name that is taken and that is used. Right. And in recent years, for obvious reasons, uh, people want to have wanted to have that law changed. There was a case, in fact, brought to the Supreme Court in 2015 by a group of women who basically were seeking damages. I don't know who was going to pay them, but anyway, they were seeking damages emotional distress and the inconvenience of having to take their husband's names Um, they lost uh, and the Supreme Court found that the you know their complaint or whatever you want to call it and the law the law that stopped them from having that wasn't unconstitutional right so it's remained in place now the reason we know about the minister's view on it is because she wrote a letter to a prefectural assembly, a really interesting system in, in Japan. Basically, uh, they're like councils, and councils can come up with what they call a, a written opinion that can then get forwarded to the assembly, to the, to the main assembly, the diet, as they call it there, uh, the Oireachtas, whatever you want to call it, and it'll go forward for a debate, right? But these 50 Conservative MPs decided to write to the council and say, look, we don't agree with your written opinion. And that's how her name popped up on the document, and mm. that's how now everybody knows that she is opposed to this change.
0: And, and what's
1: her reason for opposing this change? Well, she she says it's it's kind of weird because when when it was when she was caught out, I suppose uh, she said that it's just a personal opinion, right? And so we we can only infer from that that she's broadly in line with other conservatives who basically believe that the law reflects you know, the tra- Japanese tradition, right? Where it's not just individuals who marry, but families who, who marry, right? Who who kind of come together. It's a union of two families as such. Uh, so that's the reason for it. Now, she's not in step with most of Japanese society, it should be said, which mm. I suppose um, we, we, we might be thankful for, uh, depending on your opinion. But the, the most recent survey that was done in October of last year saw 70, just over 70% of the respondents said that they didn't mind if if married couples kept their names or changed them. Uh, And then 14% were opposed to them, and then I suppose the others were in the middle and and don't really have an opinion. Um, So it will be a question of time, I would imagine, before this law actually changes. And I I imagine that actually her opinions might... uh, hasten the, uh, the the changing of that law, but uh, we, we, we'll see how it pans out.
0: Yeah, God, it's mad. They're still debating uh, yeah. something like that. Uh, and equally mad that the uh, Minister for Women's Empowerment uh, wouldn't be. It does make the question of why she has that job in the first place. And Was it a joke giving it to her? Well, no, <laughs> that's
1: a good point. She, she's only a recent appointment, it has to be said. Um, I think the woman who was there before has gone off to look after the Olympics, so... Uh, so that's the reason she got it. But anyway, there you go. It's not a great start for her. <laughs>
0: yes. Right, Ecuador, we're going to go to ni- uh, next. And uh, a gang war. is. Was it, is this a gang war in a prison?
1: Yes. Um, I, I, this stood out. I know we, we, we kind of covered a story on Ecuador recently enough. Um, but this kind of... St- I wanted to go back again. Because this kind of stood out to me as being strange not necessarily for South America, but strange for Ecuador, right? So this, this is the story of 79 inmates have been killed in fighting that took place last week between Tuesday and Wednesday across four jails in Ecuador, okay? Now, it's thought that it was sparked by the death of a gang leader uh, in December, a man by the name of Jorge Luis Zambrano, okay? And he was the leader of a gang called the Choneros gang he was in prison up until recently I think he was released late last year and while he was in prison he was kind of running a drugs racket and all sorts of different smuggling things and and extortion rings which mainly ran within the prison system, right? So he was the head honcho of that particular operation and when he was killed, he was assassinated in a coffee shop I believe last year in December uh, there was a vacuum and this relates to who is to fill that particular vacuum, obviously. But I don't think anybody expected it to come to such an extreme. I mean, 79 deaths across four jails, and that was only as of last Wednesday, I think. And uh, the government have said uh, that the situation is under control or it came under control on Wednesday. But it's something that you don't really hear about that often in Ecuador. There are other countries in the region that you'd hear of gang wars and prison breaks and all sorts of things and, and, and gang murders within prisons but not so much in Ecuador i mean the murder rate in Ecuador has come down uh hugely in the last number of years and it's down to a between 5 and 6 per 100,000 which is really low compared mm-hmm. to like say Venezuela where it's you know 36 or between 36 40 or other central american countries where it's even higher again um so it's a strange sort of a story for this for this particular country and uh, Hopefully, not one we'll see repeated anytime soon.
0: Uh, yeah, but it just goes to show that that, that obviously there were uh, lots of people within those prisons who yeah. were armed and extremely dangerous, and and you know, the, uh, uh, there wasn't much the authorities could do about it. But the sounds, yeah, it was- they
1: did. They did say that it was extreme. It looked as if it was extremely well organized. Um, so obviously, what they were fighting for was worth it from their point of view.
0: Yeah right uh the uh the eu versus venezuela what's going on here
1: <laughs> yeah quick one this really it's a, it's a diplomatic spat that is hardly un- to be unexpected to be honest with you um it started at the beginning of the year when so you know that there was elections at the end of last year in venezuela right it was mm-hmm. the last piece in in the jigsaw that maduro needed basically to have a clean sweep r- r- right across the board like so so the um, parliament, he didn't control parliament and he does now, right? But the opposition boycotted elections last year. And to be fair, they looked fairly dodgy, uh, particularly when Maduro decided that he was going to uh, increase the assembly by 110 seats, uh, you know, just before the election started. So anyway, the EU have been for a long time, along with other countries, saying that the whole system is 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 bent and twisted and it imposed sanctions on 19 individuals 19 more individuals bring the total to 55 um Venezuelans that they're imposing these sanctions on so this is like Supreme Court judges army commanders politicians all sorts of characters so Venezuela obviously wasn't or at least I should say Maduro's government wasn't particularly happy about that so they decided that they were going to expel the uh EU representative who's a Portuguese woman, all right, by the name of uh, Isabel Pedrosa, right? So she was given 72 hours to leave. And in retaliation, the European Union have kicked out their Venezuelan ambassador, Claudia Caldera, okay? There's a problem, though, because Caldera is also the envoy to Belgium. Mm -hmm. So she's going to be staying there, uh, physically at least. Now, I, I, I know that will mean that obviously she's not going to have accesses, uh, sorry, access and privileges that she, to the European Union that she would have had before. But she's not going to be leaving Brussels in the physical sense, at least unless, of course, Belgium turns around and kicks her out as well, which seems unlikely. Um, right. So it's uh, a stranger.
0: Yeah, so there's, uh, there's no individual uh, EU member countries uh, taking similar
1: action then? I don't think so, uh, but, but they have all agreed. But it's interesting because they've all agreed with what the EU is doing in this context.
0: Right, but it's kind of consequence free for each individual country. Yeah,
1: exactly. If they do it like this,
0: yeah. Uh, right, uh, Armenia, we're going to go to next. Has there been a coup in Armenia?
1: Well, this is what the prime minister is saying. So, so the prime minister there is Nikol Pashinyan, and he was the, I suppose he was the, the man at the helm during that war that they had with their kind of sworn enemy, Azerbaijan. Late last year. So it was in November last between November and December last year, sorry, October and November last year. there was a very short war, it lasted forty four days over the uh, disputed territory of of Nagorno, Karabakh, which we've covered before, right? Mm. And in that war, six thousand people died, and Armenia was defeated hands down. We probably don't need to go into the details of it at this stage, but anyway, very embarrassing for Armenia. And the fallout from it is being felt domestically, as you can imagine, right? So what's been going on, to cut a long story short, is that the prime minister has been blaming the army and the army has been blaming the prime minister, okay? And uh, the army last week issued a letter calling for the resignation of the prime minister. Very dangerous territory, because what that means is that the army is getting involved in politics. Mm -hmm. So this really angered the prime minister. And, And many people not even his supporters necessarily, but many people who just support democracy, I suppose. So what he did was he called for the resignation of the, the, the head of the army. He sent that to be rubber stamped by the president, who's who's without wishing to insult Michael D. Higgins, he's a bit like ours. He just kind of stamps paper, all yeah. right? But in this case, uh, the the president said, look, I'm not signing that. And he sent it back to the prime minister. The prime minister, not happy with that, resubmitted it, with the warning to the president that he would be impeached if he didn't follow through on his constitutional duties, so all of a sudden it's become a crisis between the army, the prime minister, and now the president. And there are hmm. protests going on, calls for resignations, counter-protests, and it's all getting very hairy. So the, the prime minister calling it a coup. Uh, there's been no guns yet,
0: but right? It's it's it very dangerous like territory. Are uh, but I, I, I and and the president, as I understand it, is saying I won't sign this because it's unconstitutional. Yes, I, I would have thought the prime minister could fire the head of the armed forces, or or, or the president could, uh, uh, rather than.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I genuinely I don't know on what basis the president is saying that it's unconstitutional. I really don't know because I would have assumed that the president is the commander in chief, like he is. I mean, that's one mm. of the titles that these types of presidents are often given. Uh, so. Uh, I suppose it's up to him, but I don't know why he's saying it's un- unconstitutional. I-, I have a feeling he just doesn't want to get involved in the firing of the people who who have control of the guns and could well be plotting to take over the government because his head could be on a plate fairly soon as well.
0: Right. And and so this is, I suppose, as you said, largely to do with the peace deal there. Uh, and yeah. so if, if there is a change of prime minister, that presumably endangers the peace
1: deal. I... W- I wouldn't think so, and the main reason is Russia. Uh, they are the brokers in this mm. area, and both Azerbaijan not so much not so much Azerbaijan actually, because Azerbaijan have more of a, a thing going on with Turkey, but Armenia are fairly dependent on Russia, and vice versa. Russia has a military base there in Armenia, and th- the Russians kind of owe oh, Armenia I, 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 one or two favors. Um, for for recent embarrassments in in that country, so um, I don't think it will it would risk the peace deal if he was to go. I have to say,
0: right, Bangladesh. We're going to go to next, and a, a writer has died in prison there.
1: Yeah, this is a man by the name of uh, Mushtaq Ahmed. He's a 53-year-old. I think he was a blogger, really, and uh, he's actually more famous for being a crocodile farmer, Hmm. uh, or at least uh, that's why he became famous in the first place. But in in, in more recent years, it's because he's been calling out the government um, for their handling of the pandemic, right? He's been critical of it. And the government, uh, their which, uh, has, um, is quite heavy handed. All right. Um, it, 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 it doesn't like dissent at all. And in fact, back in 2018, it introduced a digital security act, right? Which is, is one of these really broadly phrased laws where basically if you say anything will arrest you. Okay. Uh, specifically if you're hurting the spirit of the 1971 liberation war or, if you're destroying communal harmony, you know, all those kind of things, cause mm. we, we've heard it before. So anyway, he made a few posts on Facebook, criticizing the government. He was arrested, I think back in May. Uh, I think he was held in pre-trial, he, he was being held in pre-trial detention. He could have gone to prison for up to 14 years for breaking that law, but he has since been found dead, uh, in prison. He was there on Thursday. Now it's actually, sp- since I sp- first saw this story, uh, late last week it's actually sparked off a series of protests in the country um, that uh, it, it is causing widespread concern um, I, I suspect that the case or the law won't be changed anytime soon as I said the, the you know the government there is fairly strict and isn't mad keen on dissent uh, but it has certainly hit a nerve with some people yeah indeed uh, Jonathan anything
0: to look out for over the next seven
1: days? Yeah, there's a few things. Uh, Friday, the the Pope is actually getting on the plane and he's going off to Iraq, uh, where he's starting oh. a state visit there uh, for a few days. Uh, there's going to be elections on Saturday in the Ivory Coast, which uh, should be interesting enough. And then on Monday, of course, March the 8th is International Women's Day. So uh, we'll be all celebrating that.
0: Jonathan, thanks a million as ever, Jonathan. De Burka, uh, Jonathan De Butler there you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break. Back in a couple of minutes. Moncrief on News Talk.